Kia ora. I'm Alex Ashton, and this is the detail on New Zealand's volcanic vulnerability. We live in an extremely active place, uh, geologically speaking. If it was to occur, we'd, we'd likely be looking at uh, multiple billions of dollars of loss. Where if we had an eruption and, and we, you know, for whatever reason didn't evacuate, we could be looking at many hundreds, potentially thousands of people being, uh, of, of losing their lives. Do we need to worry? And if so, who needs to worry most? Here's a hint. So we've managed to build our most populous city, our biggest city, right directly on top of the Auckland volcanic field. From time to time, you hear murmurs of what seems to be volcanic activity. If you're in the Fakatane region, you might have been able to see plumes of white smoke issuing from your neighbourhood volcano this morning. And GeoNet have confirmed that White Island erupted for about 10 minutes at around 20 past 10. Volcanologists hope a further observation flight over Mount Tongarero will yield more clues about whether the volcano will blow again. What does this tell us? What's happening up there? Uh, basically, the geothermal system underneath Mount Ruapehu is a feeds the Rupehu Cradle Lake environment um, is heating up. Tom Wilson is an Associate Professor in Disaster Risk and Resilience at the University of Canterbury. That means he's a volcano expert. We, we have a number of volcanoes. The, the active ones are all based in the North Island and they're dominated by the what's called the Topor Volcanic Zone. And so that runs from uh, just south of Rupehu and runs up north all the way through the central North Island, um, past Topor, Okataina, um, and then up to White Island. And that's a zone where we have a large amount of volcanism. Um, and it's been, been measured as some of the most uh, productive uh, volcanism on Earth, where there's been so many eruptions, um, certainly over the last million years, that it's uh, really significant on a, on a global scale. Um, most of the, the big eruptions have come from our caldera volcanoes, so that's Topor volcano and Okataina volcano, and that's where we have an eruption where uh, it's, it's really sticky, viscous magma that's being erupted, so it's like, kind of like cold toothpaste, and uh, when it erupts it tends to be very violent because when it's erupting, it's uh, that sticky magma. It's very hard for the, the gases and other things in the, in the magma to escape, so it becomes a very violent eruption. Um, but they're so big that the magma chamber empties, and so you actually get collapse of the, the surface material, and it sort of collapses down and creates this, uh, this um, depression at, at the surface. And that's why we have Lake Topor. Um, the, the other ones that we have, in addition to the Topor volcanic zone with Ruapehu, Tongariro, Okataina and Topor and then through to White Island, mm. we also have Taranaki volcano out towards the, the west in the, uh, in the North Island. And then we have Auckland volcanic field, which, uh, which Auckland City's uh, based around or, or built on top of. What would be the most likely volcano to erupt? It's probably one of our cone volcanoes. So those are the, that's Mount Taranaki, uh, Rupehu and Tongriro volcanoes, and White Island as well, where they've got that classic conical um, cone shape. So those ones, they are capable of quite big eruptions, um, but it's more likely that they'll have something that's a bit smaller. So if you remember back to 95 and 96, we had the, the Rupehu eruptions, um, which occurred over a sort of 9 to 12 month period with a number of different um, eruptive uh, episodes that occurred there. Our pilot soon asked for advice from the scientist on board. But before they did, another outburst, and this time it was red hot. 
So the eruption we had there was it was new magma which came into the um, came into the surface, and it interacted with the the crater lake that's underneath uh, or sitting at the top of of Mount Ruapehu. And when that really hot magma interacts with the lake and, and the other hydrothermal material that's there, it has what we call a phreatomagmatic eruption. And that's where we have water and magma interacting. And it leads to a really, really explosive um, eruption. So it's a little bit like when you're throwing water onto a hot fire or onto a um, log burner or something like that. It's that. You throw that water on there and it flashes to steam. So it's the same when you have your, your molten magma or ma- yeah, magma coming up, interacting with that water. It's fragmenting really, really efficiently. So it's cooling down quickly and sort of exploding to bits. And so we had these quite spectacular um, phreatomagmatic explosions uh, occurring at, uh, at Ruapehu. And that created um, a big ash cloud that, uh, that rose up several kilometres and uh, dispersed out towards the east as we had a, had a westerly wind at the time. Poisonous gas is spewing from Pehu as the unpredictable activity continues. The threat of another eruption has begun turning skiers away, and although volcanologists say there's no danger to them, the gas plumes pose a significant risk to climbers. The, the ashfall and other eruptive debris, so rocks and bits and pieces that are produced in the eruption, were uh, interacting and mixing with the, the snow um, and the other ice and bits and pieces on the top of the uh, volcano and then creates these lahars, or they're, they're sort of like um, uh, volcanic debris flows where all that volcanic material and water and ice and things all interact and create a bit of a slurry, uh, quite a fast-moving slurry and moving down the, um, moving down the mountain under, under gravity. And they, they can be quite... Um, yeah, quite uh, quite devastating if if you get in the path of one of them. So, so that's one of the big the big risks that we have for for Ruapehu there. When we see Ruapehu, the crater lake warming. Scientists warn that the crater lake on Mount Ruapehu is the hottest it's been in two years. Te Waiamoi reached 42 degrees Celsius on Tuesday after rising by half a degree a day for the last two weeks. Well, what does it mean when the the crater lake gets hotter? So the most the most recent crater lake formed in two thousand and three, following the um, the ninety five ninety six uh, eruptive sequence, and since then it's uh, heated and cooled a number of times. So over an annual period, it tends to heat up and then and cool down. Um, so it can be anywhere from sort of twelve to, to forty degrees uh, Celsius, um, which is quite typical over that twelve month range. But we have seen in the past, and I think the last time was in 2016, where it's been up to as hot as, as 46 degrees. In mm. and, and sort of simple terms, it's almost like a, a convective system where it heat, the water at the, at the base heats up, moves up in the sort of hydrothermal fluids, um, other bits and pieces, so different chemicals and, and things, uh, move up and transfer that heat into the crater lake. When it starts to heat up, one possibility, and it's not the only, but one possibility is that it might be that there's new magma coming in uh, below into the magmatic system. So it could be an indicator of a potential future eruption. So what happens with that when when we see the thing heating up, especially when it gets around about 40 degrees or or higher, is that the volcanologists at GeoNet, they're always monitoring, but they'll they'll keep an even closer eye on uh, on that volcano, and they'll be looking for other lines of evidence, or other other signals or... um, monitoring um, information uh, to see what else might be happening with that uh, with the volcano they'll probably be looking at what's happening with the the ground deformation around the around the volcano you know, is, are we seeing any evidence of, of it swelling or, or growing 
Um, and it, it, what it allows us, all those different strands of, of evidence will allow GeoNet to uh, uh, try and interpret what's happening with that volcano uh, system. And if you if you like, it's a little bit like um, you know when you you're looking at one of your um, one of your friends or one of your children who might be a bit uh, bit stroppy, you, you're looking at that body language, you're looking at what they're saying, you're looking at what are their eyes doing, and and what what uh, are their nostrils flaring? It's all those types of different um, indicators that you're looking to try and build a picture of what's happening with that uh, that volcano and what might happen next. <laughs> The easier way to think of it is each volcano has its own personality. And so what we, what scientists are trying to do is to try and understand what that personality is like. So do you have a volcano that's um, really intemperate and, and a stroppy beast and it's going to be erupting quite frequently, but maybe maybe quite um, with quite small eruptions? Or is it a volcano that's going to sit there for, for thousands of years and uh, cool, calm and collected, but then something sets it off, and, uh, and when it does erupt, it erupts big. It's almost like uh, you're a bit of a geo-detective, where you're, you're trying to pull all these different strands of information together to, uh, to create a coherent story. How do you tell if a volcano is about to blow? Well, the first way is just to go look at the old crater lakes, mountains and magma deposits to try and work backwards to reconstruct the eruption. They also track any movement underneath volcanoes or any strange smells, like gassy smells. The last, slightly more obvious sign of an imminent eruption has the volcano suddenly changed shape. One of the classics of that was um, the 1980s Mount St Helens eruption. In the lead-up to, to that eruption in the US... Uh, up in Washington State on the, the west coast of the US, um, there was a great big bulge that, that started to form uh, in the side of, of Mount St. Helens, which um, looks quite similar to Mount Ruapehu. And uh, that was magma building up and building up quite quite close to the surface. And uh, eventually that bulge um, got too big. It was a big landslide, and uh, it all blasted out the side. And... Um, yeah, quite a, quite a spectacular event. Such is the force of Mount St. Helens lateral eruption that an incredible 1,300 feet of mountain disappears almost instantly. While volcanologists keep a pretty close eye on our volcanoes, they're more worried about the ones that don't offer any clues as to when they're going to blow. Sometimes they're called blue sky eruptions, but we, we prefer the, the term unheralded. And what might happen there is we have a small eruption, very difficult to detect, might be a small amount of magma or, or even just um, a bit of gas or steam or something like that blasting out. Um, and if you've got people close to that, where that eruptive event's going to, or where that happens, it can be extremely difficult to, to give any warning whatsoever. And those are the things which we, we, we I guess the volcanology and emergency management community in New Zealand um, find very difficult to deal with. Now, the challenge that we have here in New Zealand is, is we, if we think about this in a risk context, is we have the Tongariro Alpine Crossing, so that wonderful walk across Tongariro Volcano, and that's all through areas which have a number of, of vents on Tongariro Volcano, which we know has erupted previously, and could uh, um, a potential to have these, these sort of so-called unheralded eruptions. We actually had one of them back in 2012 with the Tamari eruption uh, then. Poor people. We've got some people on the track and they're running. Yeah, you got them way up there. Turn and go back. Turn and go back. Where there was really no good precursory warnings for that that eruption um, occurring. 
However, there's been some really um, difficult situations and, and very sad situations overseas, such as in Ontake volcano in Japan, where one of these unheralded eruptions has occurred. On, a, on that volcano is very touristic, so a lot of a lot of people like to climb it, and uh, um, there was a number of people up very close to the crater when that eruption occurred, and, and it led to a number of fatalities and and injuries, and uh, so that's been a, a, a huge issue for uh, New Zealand to think about what what are we, how do we manage that risk, and and what are the best ways to ensure that our, our tourists that are visiting these these wonderful places. Uh, have the information, um, be able to effectively um, make, make the right decisions um, under those types of, uh, if something like that was to occur. Are there any volcanoes that pose a particular risk to really populated places? So it, it comes down to the type of volcanoes that we have in New Zealand. So uh, cone volcanoes, so well, certainly Taranaki and, and uh, Ruapehu and Tongariro, they uh, they're surrounded by national parks, and so in a way, there's been some wonderful um, land use planning where we've limited development around those volcanoes. So we don't have big cities or um, you know really important infrastructure close to the volcanoes. But those volcanoes are capable of producing ash or ashfall. So when they have an explosive eruption, they fragment the the magma. Um, and create lots of little bits of particles, sort of less than two millimetres, sometimes um, much, much less than, uh, you know, down to micron scale or you know, hundreds of a millimetre across. And they get suspended up into the atmosphere and then carried downwind by whatever the prevailing wind is. And that ash will fall out across uh, the landscape and, and uh, can cause some problems. And generally, that's one of the big, the, it's probably the most likely hazard that uh, most New Zealanders will be exposed to from our volcanoes, where they, the the hazard footprint or the, the area that can be affected by the ashfall um, can be very, very big. So that, that ash can travel hundreds, sometimes thousands of kilometres downwind. The good news is that ashfall generally is it's more of a disruptive or, or nuisance type hazard uh, rather than being you know, catastrophically damaging or, or anything like that. All good then? Well, not quite. The tricky one is Auckland. So we've managed to build our most populous city, our biggest city, right directly on top of the Auckland volcanic field. Now that one, if that erupts, then we've got a very different situation. Auckland volcanic field, we know it's been active for probably about 200,000 years. And over that time, we, we think there's been at least, or we've seen and observed at least 53 uh, volcanic centres. And uh, with the most recent eruption, uh, only 500 years ago. But the, the news is, it's a tr- it's difficult news sometimes. So the, the dating that the volcanologists have done on the volcano in Auckland, so there's those 53 centres. They've managed to date about 45, 46, maybe 47 of them. And what they've seen is a pattern where over the last 60,000 years, there's been a big increase in the number of eruptions that we've had uh, from Auckland volcanic field. So when we have an eruption from Auckland... The magma that's coming up, it's not like what I talked about before with, with Topor. It's with the, the viscous, sticky magma. The, the magma that erupts is... The toothpaste was the other one, eh? That's it. This magma is quite runny, so it's quite similar to what we'd see in Hawaii. The magma that comes up, it's quite runny. It can form lava flows quite happily um, and certainly has done with previous eruptions. But the big thing with Auckland is that because a volcanic field and we don't really know where the next eruptive event or vent system will be. 
So for those of you that live in Auckland, you'll notice there's all the little cones all around the, the volcanic field. Um, and there's also the big the sort of depressions um, or the volcanic lakes or the, the Mars where there's been uh, a different type of eruption. For all intents and purposes, we can't find any statistical relationship as to any pattern as to where those eruptive events are occurring, either in, in spatially, you know, in terms of the, the location of them, or in terms of time. So it seems to be quite random. The next piece of thing which is, um, keeps a few of us up at night or a little bit stressed is it seems that the, with the magma's being produced, we think, at around about 80 to 100 kilometres depth beneath Auckland. Now, the slightly scary thing is that there is good evidence that it seems that some of that magma, in some cases, can move very, very quickly up through to the surface. Some of the, the most rapid um, rise rates or um, estimated rise rates of, of that magma could mean that when the magma starts to get to the brittle part of the crust, which is where we would start to see earthquakes being produced, from that point through to the surface, there could be as little as three to four, five days mm. um, between the magma moving through. So what that means is if we were to have magma moving under Auckland and starting to come up for an eruption, we may have as little as three to five days um, warning time uh, to undertake any uh, risk management measures or emergency management measures such as evacuations or, or whatever. Before what happens? So that would be before that when the magma reaches the surface, then we would have an eruption. And it's all to, to, to do with what, uh, what conditions the magma reaches when it hits the surface. So if it comes through an area where there's very little water, um, and we would have what we call a dry eruption or a magmatic eruption. So we'd have quite a spectacular fire fountain. So there'd be um, jets of, of uh, incandescent or glowing magma bursting up into the atmosphere. It would look absolutely amazing. Uh, Ashfall being produced and probably um, a cone would start to build up, a little bit like Mount Wellington or uh, Mount Eden, and eventually would, would form a, a sort of scoria cone. Lava flows might be produced. Um, Ashfall, as I said before, and uh, there could be quite a lot of gas and, and bits and pieces like that being produced. So that's what we'd call a, a dry eruption. Now, if it, the magma comes up and interacts with water, such as in one of the harbours or um, under area where there's quite a, a big groundwater table or um, big, big uh, reserves of groundwater, we'd have what's called a phreatomagmatic eruption. So that's where we have water and magma interacting, and, uh, and that would violently explode. And so that's where uh, we'd see an explosion um, being produced. So a shock wave would, would go out. When we have that explosive event occurring, there's a lot of heat being released. Uh, there's a lot of gas um, and other small debris that's being um, erupted. And it can create these surges which flow out up to three, four, sometimes maybe a little bit further, perhaps five kilometres um, away from the vent which are rapidly moving, so it would be 100, 200, sometimes up to 300 kilometres per hour, and, and very hot as they, you know, so 200, 300, 400 uh, degrees Celsius, and move out away from, the, uh, from that eruptive vent. And that's the thing that we're most worried about for an Auckland eruption. It sounds absolutely terrifying, all the things you're saying, especially because I, <laughs> I am in Auckland. But is the risk of this big enough that we should actually be worried or is it just sort of a thing to kind of be vaguely aware of? 
Well, I'm a biased. I mean, I, I live and breathe this stuff every day. So it's, um, I guess, my personal view is that this is part of living in New Zealand. We, we live in an extremely active place, uh, geologically speaking, and, and I guess also climatically. The thing with, I guess, the, the Auckland volcanic field is the probability in any one day or, or any one year of it erupting is, is, is really quite low. But it's the, con- the potential consequences of what it might do uh, which makes it such an important risk for New Zealand. So the government has acknowledged that, and so it's definitely considered one of our major um, threats to New Zealand. Um, so it would be something that, if it was to occur, we would likely be looking at uh, multiple billions of dollars of loss. But it's probably that threat to life which is the, the biggest concern, where if we had an eruption and, and we, you know, for whatever reason, didn't evacuate um, people, we, we could be looking at many people you know, many hundreds, potentially thousands of people being, uh, of, of losing their lives. Um, however, that I'm almost convinced that wouldn't be the case. The Auckland Civil Defence and Emergency Management Group have mature, very mature plans around how an evacuation uh, would need to occur. And there's been a lot of work, both in terms of research, practice and policy, around how that could play out. Basically, don't panic, but do prepare, because while the chance is low, the stakes are high, especially in Auckland. That's the detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poak and produced by Alexia Russell. Keithiki Masalamani is our associate producer. Kakite Ano. Listener.